uh, that time of year again, as Andy Williams says uh, in his wonderful song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest, happiest time of year. I love Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas? Because as Emily said, it's coming. In two weeks, it'll be here. Have you gotten all the gifts you need to get in order for Christmas morning? You know, several of you all know that we, my wife and family, we went to San Antonio uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving with her family, not only to celebrate Thanksgiving, but also to do just a little bit of shopping. Uh, San Antonio has a few more stores than Amarillo, and so my, my wife and, and daughters specifically like to take advantage of that. I'm not a big fan of Black Friday. Uh, I don't really like crowds when I shop. I don't like the noise. I don't like the lines that they generate. So thanks be to God, it was good weather in San Antonio, so we got to go play golf, right, John? He and I hit golf balls while Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth did some shopping. And then we, uh, after uh, a day of golf and shopping, we, we reconvened, and uh, we went to my brother-in-law's house to watch the uh, Longhorns play the Red Raiders. Sorry about that. You know how this is going. I did grow up as a Red Raiders fan, just so you know. And actually, if you kind of follow Red Raider uh, football history, they have a, they've done a pretty good job against Texas every now and then. In fact, they had won three games in a row, so I was expecting it to be a, a competitive game. It was not. Uh, the score was 57 to 7. And so while we were sitting there watching the game, I quietly did my form of Black Friday shopping. I pulled out my laptop, went to my favorite websites, Amazon.com. Amazon gets me. You know what I'm saying? This is the way you should shop. You know, you find what you want, you click it, you click it, you click it, and then you buy, and then they send you what, you're, what you ordered in a box so that all you have to do is wrap it up. Isn't that great? In fact, Amazon gets me so well that they actually tell me that People who bought this often buy that. <laughs> I'm a sucker for Amazon. And if it's on sale, I click it. Well, sure enough, just a few weeks later, uh, we're starting to get all the boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. And I'm thinking, I've got a lot of things to wrap. And I'm not sure we need all this stuff. Anybody ever think about that? You've got too much stuff. I've got a lot of stuff. We, we as a family have a, have a lot of stuff. And, and I don't know if you know, but... Um, one of the fastest growing industries in the last um, 59 years is the self-storage industry. Did you know about this? And actually, the self-storage industry started in West Texas. Uh, specifically, the modern self-storage industry uh, started in uh, Odessa, Texas. I'm from Midland. I went to Midland Lee. I'm used to playing Odessa Permian. Um, it's kind of a competitive town. We always fight against each other. So I'm thinking nothing good comes from, from out of Odessa. But uh, the self-storage uh, industry started when... Uh, uh, two men, Russ Williams and Bob Munn, opened a A1, you store it, you lock it, you carry the key store in Odessa, Texas. And it was just cinder blocks, garage doors, and those uh, metal uh, roofs. And no one had any idea how quickly the self-storage industry would explode. In fact, here in Texas, we have the most self-storage facilities of any other state. We have over 5,300 self-storage facilities. California is a distant second with uh, just over 3,700. They have more people, we have more stuff. <laughs> is that a good thing? I I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure. In fact, it reminds me of what Dave Ramsey often says. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> Why do we do this as Americans? We, we are really good at consuming and gathering more and more and, and more stuff. What are we supposed to do with all the stuff we've accumulated? What does Jesus say about stuff and how we can best use the stuff that we've received? To find out, I would encourage you to turn in your 
red pew Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, it may be found on page 1108 of that red pew Bible. Luke chapter 12, page 1108. Uh, I would encourage you to keep that red pew Bible open throughout the message as I make reference to the text throughout the sermon. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, as we turn to your holy inspired word, we're thankful that you moved in the heart of Luke to interview eyewitness accounts, to gather an orderly account of all that Jesus said and did. And Lord, during, Lord, Lord, during this Christmas season, when we have a lot of emphasis on consumption, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Listen to God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look again at verse 15 of our text where Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now the Greek word for covetousness there can actually be translated as greed. I like the way Eugene Peterson, who was a Presbyterian minister, he translated from the original Greek into more contemporary English. He translates the message, verse 15, this way. He says, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. The least bit of greed. You know, greed is one of the seven deadly sins, according to the Roman Catholic Church. It's one of the seven deadly sins because greed often leads to other sins, like lying. When someone is greeting, they will lie to get what they want. Or stealing. When someone is greedy, they will steal in order to obtain what they want. Or even murder. When someone really wants something so badly that they would even kill to get what they want. Yes, greed is one of the seven deadly sins. And the truth is, greed is ultimately a form of idolatry. Because it turns our hearts away from God and towards things. You've been with us the last uh, several weeks. You know, we've been going through a sermon series about how to transform our heart, uh, that transform our idol factory. This was inspired by a, a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin was actually the founder of the Presbyterian Church. He wrote a, several books called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And in his Institutes of Christian Religion, he points out that books called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And in his Institutes of Christian Religion, he points out that the human heart is an idol factory. That left to our own, we are prone to chase after the temporal things of this world rather than to worship the one true God. And as we've been going through the sermon series, we've been taking a look at one of the books that Timothy Keller wrote. In fact, on Wednesday nights, we went through this book, Counterfeit Gods. It's a great book. I would not necessarily recommend it as a Christmas gift. If you gave this book to somebody, and the title is Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters, they may feel like you're sending them a message, right? Like, hey, you, you, you're chasing those counterfeit gods. You need this book. Reminds me years ago when I was at Highland Park Press, um, Bill Fagan gave me this book. It's called Humility by Andrew Murray. <laughs> He's like, hey, I want you to have this for Christmas. I was like, oh, okay. Do I need to work on humility? <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's a great book. You'll love it. And I was like, and he's right, it's, it's a great book. But as is Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller, uh, you could recommend it to somebody, but I wouldn't necessarily give it as a gift. But at the same time, it points out that we can make anything an idol. You know, we think about idols, and we think about the golden calf that uh, the people of Israel made in the wilderness when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai. That's obvious idolatry, right? But we can take good things and make them idols if we make them ultimate things, according to Timothy Keller. See, the fact is that anytime we, we pursue anything more than God, we're guilty of idolatry. Even something neutral like money. And by the way, there's lots of wealthy people in the Bible. King David was a very wealthy, wealthy man. He wrote many of the Psalms that we have today. King Solomon was even richer than his father David, and he wrote many of the Proverbs that we have today. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. The key is, do we love our money more than God? Because if we do, we're guilty of idolatry. If we love things more than God, we're guilty of idolatry. Keller points out that we can even make good things like our children's happiness an idol if we pursue it more than God. If we make it an ultimate thing where our children's happiness is our ultimate sense of self. No, our, our identity must be found 
only in the love of God, the unconditional, sacrificial, eternal love of God that we find in Jesus Christ. And whenever we chase or pursue anything other than that, we're guilty of idolatry. Yes, the man in our text is really guilty of the sin of greed. Notice that he comes to Jesus asking him to be an arbiter for him or to be a judge for him, saying, hey, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. This man's concern is more for the stuff than he is his relationship with his brother. Clearly, he loves things more than people. And we know from Jesus that the most important commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Nowhere does it say we're called to love stuff. We're called to love people more than things. And yet, sadly, this man is more focused on stuff than his brother. And so Jesus uh, says to the crowd listening to this conversation, says, take care, as it says in the message, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Now, that's not what our culture says, is it? Our culture says the person with the most toy wins, you know, the more you can get, the happier you'll be, that if you drive this car, people will think highly of you. If you wear these clothes, then you'll be a, a trendsetter. If you have this watch, whatever it is, they're, they're constantly telling us to buy this or, or have that, or people who buy this often buy that. You should do the same. You feel this pressure, right, to consume, consume as if our identity and our happiness is going to be found in things rather than God. Now, it's true, sometimes just the right gift can make you happy. I remember in the early 80s, I received the Millennium Falcon as a toy gift from my parents. That thing, you remember that? Anybody? I was so happy that day. That was like the best Christmas ever. I was playing with that thing for about a couple years. And then I outgrew it. And eventually I got into video games and other things. But I've got that toy somewhere in my parents' house. We're still trying to go through that. In fact, one of the best things you can do for your descendants for your children, your grandchildren, is to simplify your life. Sell a bunch of stuff before you pass away. We're having to go through that. It takes a long time to sort through all the things we can accumulate over a lifetime. In fact, essentially, there was a study done uh, in England. Uh, the average 10-year-old in England has 238 toys. 238 toys. But they only play with 12. How many toys do we have as Americans, right? And how many do we actually play with, kids? Now, I know as adults, we don't have a lot of toys, but we actually, we got a lot of clothes. There was a study done by Forbes magazine that the average woman in America has over 30 individual outfits, one for every day of the month, over 30. Back in the 1930s, the average woman only had nine outfits. How do we go from nine to 30? And some of us are above average, right? I mean, I'm going to be honest with it. I've been preparing this sermon through the... True confession here, I preached this text about five years ago, and I remember the emphasis of the, of the sermon, and so I was looking again at my closet and realizing things had begun to accumulate again. I need to get rid of some stuff, so I was taking clothes off the hangers and piling up so that we can give those things away. What are we to do with the things that, that God gives us? Why are we so tempted to accumulate more and more stuff? Well, I believe the parable that Jesus tells this greedy man helps us understand why we are prone to greed and how we can help avoid it. Listen again to the parable. We find it in verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice how many times the personal pronoun I or my is used in this text. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. Does that reflect an understanding of biblical stewardship? Psalm 24, verse 1, King David says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All that we have is ultimately a gift from God. Now, obviously, this man who owns this land, he, he, he had to have uh, plowed the field at some point. He had to plant seeds. He had to weed the, the crops now and then. And, of course, he had to harvest the crops. But the fact is, in the first century, any success of having a bountiful crop was reliant on the weather, reliant on God. And yet this man seems to give no recognition of what God has done for him. There's no mention of God in his thinking. It's my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. He's self-centered rather than God-centered. And self-centeredness, it leads to greed. He's all about himself. And sadly, when he has to reason about what to do in the situation, he doesn't even have some family members or friends to talk to. He hasn't used the stuff that God has given him to help build good relationships with others. No, he, he's just used it for himself. He's been all about himself. Yes, self-centeredness leads to greed. And there's a really good book that you, you probably could give to a friend, maybe it's a stocking stuffer. It's by Timothy Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. In this great book, Timothy Keller points out that, um, and of course, Timothy Keller passed this, this a lot long ago, so he's been in the news, so it's a good time to give away those types of books. But he points out that, you know, humility is not so much about thinking less of myself, but rather thinking less of myself less often. He says it this way, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less often. Thinking more about God than myself. Thinking about what God might want me to do with his stuff rather than what I want to do with my stuff. You see, in the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we see that God loves us not this much, but this much, with an eternal, sacrificial, unconditional love. And it's that love that defines us. And as Jesus goes on to explain, he tells the crowd, hey, don't be anxious about what to eat or what to wear. God provides for the, the birds, right? The ravens. They don't have to store up in barns. God's going to take care of you. And on this Christmas season, we recognize that God sent his son not to become a bird. No, God sent his son as a baby in a manger to redeem all of humanity by taking on human flesh and doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father so that when he died on a cross, he died as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. As Jesus says in John 19 with his final words on the cross, it is finished. Our sins have been atoned for. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf, so that we might know with full assurance that in Jesus Christ, we have the gift of eternal life, that nothing can separate us, not even death, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, so we don't have to worry. Amen? Yet often we do. We find ourselves worried about these things, these temporal things of this world. How can we avoid chasing after the things of this world? How can we avoid the 
the sin of greed that fills so much of our society. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, he said to the people, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. You know, the lilies are clothed even better than King Solomon, who was so wealthy and had so many great clothes. Yes, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, there's actually a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline that we can do to help seek first God's kingdom, to avoid the temptation to seek after temporal things, but rather to seek after the eternal. It's the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And Richard Foster in his best-selling book, Celebration of Discipline, again, if you, if you have, don't have this book, go ahead and buy it or give it to a friend as well. It's a great book. It's one of my favorite books all the time. But he has a whole chapter on simplicity. He points out that simplicity is really about focusing on seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. He writes about it this way. He says, The central point for the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and then everything necessary will come into its proper order. Freedom, he goes on to write, freedom from anxiety is one of the inward evidence of seeking first the kingdom of God. The inward reality of simplicity involves a life of joyful unconcern for possessions. A joyful unconcern for possessions. When we're focused first on the kingdom of God and seeking after that in light of what God has done for us, we live in gratitude for the great gift of God's Son and knowing that our God is a God who provides for all of our needs in Christ Jesus. As we seek after God's kingdom and His righteousness, we will see the things of this world as temporal and not things we need to worry about, but rather things that we might use for the sake of His kingdom. So what are we to do with all the stuff that we've accumulated. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 33 and 34 of our, our text in Luke chapter 12. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide